This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The Smart Beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here. This week on the Ion Travel Podcast, life in quarantine and where travel's going to go. My guests, Samantha Brown from PBS's Places to Love, She's quarantined in Brooklyn. Paul Thoreau, legendary writer, quarantined in Hawaii. And Congressman Steve Cohen from Tennessee about being quarantined on an airplane, masks, seats, and everything else. First, my conversation with writer Paul Thoreau. We are truly navigating in uncharted waters. 
in extraordinary times. And some people might even say that's an understatement when it comes to travel. And one person who knows all about it because he lives the life that I want to live when I grow up, although some people tell me it's too late, I've already grown up, is Paul Thoreau, legendary author, legendary traveler, legendary writer. His latest book, On the Plain of Snakes, A Mexican Journey, I highly recommend it whether you're going to Mexico or any other country for that matter. Paul, welcome. Uh, hello, Peter. Nice to talk and, to you. And I, you know, I'm coming to you, of course, from our bunker here in New York. You have the enviable position of coming to us from your, uh, your bunker in Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> and, and, so and, does, you know, Hawaii, so and, and Hawaii is an interesting story because, you know, the unemployment figures came out just two days ago. We're now over 30.4 million Americans unemployed. We have... Uh, and then we took a look at the unemployment figures in Hawaii, which, of course, is a tourist-based economy. And Hawaii is at 29% of the workforce no, is unemployed. It's, it's actually more than that. It's, Tell me. It's more than that. It's, uh, it's 38, getting on to 40. It's very, very high. And um, I would say all travel-related. I mean, hotel, no, all hotels are closed. All restaurants are closed. All shops in Waikiki. Waikiki is completely empty. There is a person there. When tourists come here, they have to go into 14-day quarantine. They're, they're sending them back on, if, they, if you don't have a place to stay, and many don't, they have to get on the next plane out. It's, um, it's a complete catastrophe for the tourist industry. No one knows when it's going to end because we're, we're locked down till the end of May at the earliest. Yeah. And the other interesting thing is, you know, if you look at the traditional approach to tourism in Hawaii, you know, what they may be the first to open up at the end of May or early June. But the question is, how are they going to open up? Because when you think about it, when I used to go to Hawaii, which was very recently, as you know, you know, for, for decades, they preserved their agriculture by not allowing any illegal importation of fruits or vegetables. Well, it looks like I'm the new fruit and vegetable because, yeah. what, you know, yeah. what kind of guarantee can I give the authorities in Hawaii? Not that I'm bringing in an orange, but whether or not I've tested negative for the coronavirus or I've taken the antibody test or I'm not going to infect anybody else. You get tested on arrival. Um, on arrival, there are some tourists. I mean, there, there, there are... Uh, they're in, you know, the double digits, 14, 16, 82, so to speak. At the airport, when they come, they take your temperature and ask you for your uh, telephone number. And they then call that number. And if the, if the phone doesn't ring, if, if you've given them a, a bad cell phone number, uh, you're out. You, ha you have to go immediately back. You, get, you have to give it while you're standing there. They call your phone. So um, it's it's a, a situation I've, I've never seen. So I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, the beaches were reopened for swimming, surfing and paddling um, and walking um, uh, two days ago. All parking lots uh, are half full or, or, or just have a few cars in them. For the first time in, in, in many years, uh, Waimea Bay, um, it, it's possible to park in Waimea Bay and go for a swim then you have to immediately get out of the water, have a shower, get back in your car. You can't sit on the beach. Two weeks ago, I got a ticket from a policeman for sitting on the beach in Haleiwa. Uh, I was sitting there reading uh, Henry James. And um, as you do, as you do, as you what you're supposed to do on a beach in Hawaii. Read It was Rebecca West's book on Henry James. And the cop said, uh, where's your ID? I said, am I doing something wrong? He said, yeah, you're sitting on the beach. You're sitting. I said. What's the problem? There's no sign that says no sitting. He said the governor said so. So <laughs> he gave me I've got a court date in June. Uh, and 
um, I, I said, are you joking? You know, like <laughs> he said, no, this is a, so, you know, I talked to him. He, you know, he said, I'm just doing my job. I said, I'm doing my job. I'm reading Henry James on the, on the beach. Um, I still, you still can't sit on the beach, but you, you, you can swim. So I went for a swim yesterday and the day before. Um, but I would advise people who want to come here to go for a swim that, um, they, they can't sit. They, they'll have to just walk down the, he said, walk very fast and then, <laughs> um, you know, get in. So, but there are guys, there are surfers, surfers out there. The, the, the strange thing is that because, um, all, all, um, hotels and restaurants are closed, uh, Hawaii has a different look. You know, last year we had 10 million tourists. 10 million is, you know, it's more than India gets. It's more than a lot. You would probably uh, a better judge of what countries get the most tourism. But but 10 million is a huge figure. And when that figure is deleted from the daily population, you have empty roads. Uh, you have clear skies. You have empty streets. You have empty parking lots. You have very, very few uh, people going to hardware stores or, you know, the, the places that are open. Um so it's very strange. Um, not confining because we we can get out and walk around, but it's not like being in New York City. Exactly. But you know, in your experience as a writer of you know dozens of books all over the world, uh, from the Mosquito Coast to the Old Patagonia Express and so many others, have you, of course, not to mention your own personal history of where you've lived all over the world, have you ever had anything that's even come close to this? Yes, I have. Uh, in, in 1966, um, there was a coup d'etat in, in, um, in, in Uganda. I was teaching at Makerere University in, in Kampala, and the government um, attacked the palace of the Kabaka, the king of Uganda, Kabaka Mutesa II. Idi Amin led the troops, and it was uh, uh, unsuccessful because the Kabaka escaped. But there was then a one-month lockdown of a curfew. So from late afternoon until, you know, mid-morning the next day, you had to be home. You had to be in your house. You couldn't walk around. And it was enforced by very rough policemen. So people were drinking. Uh, there was a lot of mayhem in the daylight hours. But f- from from dusk till after dawn, you had to stay home. And it was very, very strange. Stores were closed. In, there, there were Indian shops. Uh, close and a lot of them were vandalized by Africans because they were kind of settling scores. And it made me think that the world can be turned upside down very, very quickly overnight. So not what we're witnessing now is the world turned upside down. And that curfew that I experienced all those years ago, 66, um, is, is sort of, um, epitomized by, by this lockdown, which is upside down. You want to go to a restaurant? You can't. You want to go to a hotel? You can't. The libraries are closed. The regular stores are closed. Want to buy a Gucci bag in, in Waikiki? Forget about it. You know? <laughs> or go to the, go, go to yes, Chanel store. But going back to your example of Uganda, that was one coup in one country. But this is global. Yes, that's that's the thing. This, this is the thing that, that um, science fiction writers write about or futurologists write about i'll tell you something though it has always occurred to me if you go to india i mean there's 1.4 billion people in india a similar number way over a billion in china 
when you go to a place like that and you think if someone starts to sneeze, it's occurred to me many, many times that when you're in a, a, a country which I regard as overpopulated, it's very easy for diseases to spread. And this is an effect of overpopulation and globalism. It's very easy to, you know, as, a, as an expert on, on flying, that planes fly everywhere. And that means germs go everywhere. People go everywhere. And they go to highly populated countries and they go to uncontrolled countries and countries with no good medical facilities, including our own wonderful country, which it really is um, not set up to deal with a pandemic. So I've never seen anything like it, but it's 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 an effect of globalism, overpopulation and bad regulation. So it's not like no one noticed it. There have been books about pandemics. I wrote a story two years ago about a pandemic, just a short story that Slate is going to publish in a couple of months. So you know, it ha- it's not like it hasn't been envisioned, but the fact exactly. that exactly, yeah. So it is, it's, but it's very weird, and it it's uh, it has it's had a devastating effect on travelers like you and me. And then the other thing you, you mentioned, India. Imagine with that population, an entire country on lockdown. I have no idea how they make that work. I don't either, except that it's enforced. That this is why um, enforcement is <clears throat> is so arbitrary. It gives police. A lot of power, like the ticket I got. You know, it's just people take charge and authority figures start to emerge. But it's um, so it, it's unprecedented globally. We've never seen anything like it. And I would say in India, a lot of the, it, it, it hurts people in the, um, the, the sort of improvisational businesses, you know, stallholders, people just selling ice cream and this coronavirus crisis, which shows no signs of uh, you know, ending anytime soon, simply because it was one thing to turn the light switch off, but you don't come back by turning the light switch on. It's more like a dial, isn't it? Everybody's going to be doing it for themselves. It's, it's going to be every state acting in its own best interest or self-interest, every region, every city, every county, not to mention foreign countries trying to preserve their borders. Yes, that's true. And I think that as it is now... It, it creates a sense of anxiety. There is a strong sense of anxiety worldwide um, of people thinking, what should I do? Um, uh, you and I were at a, at a convention in, in Washington, D.C. There were people saying, I want to give you a hug. I'm your greatest fan. Uh, shake, pal. Um, you know, and it, that was on March 7th. Everyone was free and easy. Have a hug. Give me a kiss. That is never going to happen again in, in our lifetime. Uh, so so how we come back, I don't know. But I want to say one thing about the whole business as a traveler, and, and I think that and you as a traveler. This is something, this is a moment that needs to be recorded and chronicled. We can only do it by traveling. But it's something that historians will depend on, and historians always depend on the eyewitness of travelers. So I see it. I was in a, a curfew situation, a danger situation in East Africa in 1966, and I felt lucky to be in it because it was so informative. It's it's how people uh, act in a crisis, in an emergency. And a traveler is a witness. It's a, a traveler is an eyewitness to situations like that. So it's all the more reason why as soon as the, the, the whole business is lifted, we should get out there and look at it and talk to people and go to places where it's safe to go, obviously, and chronicle the reactions of, of people in the world who, who are uh, in lockdown, not as a tourist, but as an old-fashioned, laborious traveler who notes down 
um, the details of cultural life in our other places. Well, you're speaking as a writer and as a reporter, as I am, uh, but I have to throw a little screwdriver in the machinery and talk about another word that starts with T that's not about travel, and that's trust and another word called fear. I'm seeing unbelievable levels of fear along I mean, it's not particular to any one income group or educational group or, or level of education. It's fear about people who just don't even want to go across the street, let alone get to an airport, go on a ship or get in a car. Well, you're in New York City where people live uh, very, very close to each other. They get in there, are, you know, 14 people in an elevator. There's uh, uh, subway cars full of people. There's people passing on the street. You can't get a six foot distance in New York. I would say New York City. It's not a surprise that. That it's a it's a crisis there because it's it's a place where it's very very easy to um, to come close to a person and I mean you've you've oh you've, but I'm also but Paul I'm also talking about friends of mine in Australia friends of mine uh, a couple of friends of mine even in Greenland who are literally scared but they're scared and and of course I am too because we don't have a lot of information and I think that that this is where governments are so important to to give information. We had a saying in Africa, don't don't believe anything until the government has officially denied it. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best. And and so, yeah, so th- this this By is the way, there are some wait, wait, Paul, there are some of us in the United States who think that we can apply that to certain governments uh, very close to home. Yes. Yes. So um, th- th- it, what you say about trust and fear is a- absolutely true. But we we need. Obviously, a government we can trust. We need uh, medical facilities that we can trust. And in the absence of information, you have fear and you have rumor. And in all crisis situations that I've noticed before, rumors are rife. And rumors arrive or arise out of um, lack of information and fear. So that's the situation that we are now, which is sort of it's, it's something uh, science fiction writers have predicted. And now we're living it. So we're talking to Paul Thoreau, legendary writer of so many great books, the most recent being On the Plane of Snakes, A Mexican Journey. All right, Paul, now let's talk about what happens when somebody says, "Okay, you have the green light, Americans, uh, or you have the green light, New Yorkers or South Dakotans. You can travel again. You know, will there be that pent up demand or will people kind of emerge very slowly? I think very slowly. I think people are going to be very cautious about where they go. And they're also going to return to older forms of travel. I think the car journey, the individual car journey, the family getting in the car or the guy. My Mexican book on the plane of snakes was a car journey. My last travel book before then, um, which was deep south, was a car journey. So a road trip, the road trip, you get in the car with your handy wipes and your and your, um, you know, uh, your, 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 your food, your food and your um, stuff, and you set off. Going to an airport, getting on a plane, I think that's going to be very, very slow to recover. Uh, going to a hotel, I mean, a, a hotel, consider the number of people who use hotel rooms. I mean, you go in there and you think, well, there's been 10,000 people in this hotel room. Maybe one of them had the virus. So I think it will be very slow to recover. And the airline industry, which you know a lot about, um, will be very already has t- taken a massive hit. So I think that well, people domestic travel will be very important. I think that people um, driving to a place and um, 
uh, get, getting in the car or getting in their bike, going for a hike, whatever it is, that's going to be it. Paul Thoreau, the author of On the Plane of Snakes, his most recent book, A Mexican Journey. When we last left off, Paul, you were predicting that, and I, by the way, I agree with you, that when travel does return or resume, uh, no matter what the quantity of it is or the frequency of it is, it'll probably start right in our own backyard with, with the domestic travel. Yes, that's true. I think, where do you feel safe? You feel safe at home. You feel safe on your street in your town, in the nearest city. You don't, you don't feel safe by going to Bombay or going on a safari or, or um, wherever. I mean, so I think domestic travel, uh, the, the future of domestic travel is, is great. And I think that that will be the way to go. I will say also, because I saw a news item, that people are signing up for cruises. Whether this is the, the, the future, I don't know. But uh, apparently people are signing up for future cruises. Well, let me t- I, can ex- I can explain that. I can explain that. Uh, how many people do you think as a percentage of the American population have ever taken a cruise. It's under 13%. So the people yeah. who are signing up for a cruise are the people who already have cruised, who are very loyal cruisers, who are particularly attracted to one particular cruise line, or in many cases, one particular ship, where they even have an emotional connection and feel a certain sense of entitlement. Yeah, they're signing up for cruises, but not for this year. They're signing up for 2021, because for all <laughs> intents and purposes, the cruise schedule for 2020 is essentially history. Uh, yes, I, okay. It, it, it's, it's not going to happen. But anyway, I think the future domestic travel, go for a hike, go for a bike ride, visit some nearby site. A lot of people haven't, you know, people in Boston have never been to Concord or to where the Revolutionary War began, or they've never been to the Maine woods, or they've never seen Niagara Falls. That's the sort of thing that's going to happen, I think. Yeah, I I agree. And you forgot one other form of transportation, which also is on wheels, recreational vehicles. Those sales are going to spike. Families are going to want to travel together. Anytime we emerge from a crisis, it's amazing how families suddenly want to travel together normally they don't want to even talk to each other but in situations like this they come they emerge wanting to travel as a unit and what is it what is a uh, recreational vehicle if not a four-wheel self-contained quarantine mobile uh, that allows you to go to different places and as you said paul maybe not stay in a hotel uh, because they don't have any trust as to who's been in there before. So they'll go to a national park campground or a state park campground, or they'll just, you know, go to some two-lane cities and highways, the old blue highways off the interstate, and, 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 and explore American towns again. I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Because in travel, we, uh, the road trip, inevitably, you're going to need a, a hotel or a motel. But a recreational vehicle is is the way of being self-quarantined, and you can cross the country, you can live in it, and you can go anywhere. So I think that you're right about that. I've especially often- especially with gas especially with gas prices at uh, at you know crazy low prices. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And I think that's that's how it will happen. Uh, but it, so it's going to open up people domestic. Tra- and I, I, I also think that that people in, uh, people in other countries, I mean, the people you talk about people, Greenland, Australia, I think they're going to stay there. I don't think they're going to be coming to going to other places. You're going to go where you feel safe and you never feel safe or 100 percent safe in another person's country. But you feel generally right, so, speaking. So, so now you bring up the most important question. Where are you going to go? I don't have any great plan. This is also you. Of, you. I don't. I don't have any plans. But I would like to see it in in a, in a kind of um, wish fulfilling way. I would like to see how the virus has affected other places. I would like to go and see what's happened in other places. I, uh, uh, having seen Hawaii locked down with no business, high unemployment. I'd like to see how does it work. I, I'd like to go to India. I would like to go to Africa. I'd like to go back to Mexico um, and just see the effect of it. And um, so to be a chronicler, 
in the in the 17th century, mid 17th century, there was a plague in London chronicled by um, uh, 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 John Pepys and um, Pepys diary uh, is a record of a plague. I would like to make a chronicle and see what happened, because a lot of travel, a lot of the travel that I do is a kind of reportage. It's it's noting what happens in a different place. So my plan would be to look at to look at the effects of it. And, you know, in a, uh, as a journalist, really, as a travel journalist, but I don't have any plans. No one can make plans now. That's right. It's one of the worst five letter words in our vocabulary now, plans or Uh the other worst five letter word later. Right now, it's day by day, uh, although I would suggest to everybody listening that you can at least look forward a little bit to realize that when when it does come back, cash in those frequent flyer miles now for trips in November, December, and January because the redemption levels have never been lower and the, and the available capacity has never been higher. Something to think about. Paul Thoreau. Coming up next, my talk with Samantha Brown, the host of PBS's Places to Love. A good friend, a colleague on PBS with her own show in season three called Places to Love, our good friend, Samantha Brown. Hey, Sam. Hi, Peter. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm bunkered in Manhattan. I think you're probably bunkered in Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, I'm actually in upstate New York. Oh, you got out of New York. Oh, my we, God. Yeah, okay. we got out early, like around March 15th. Yes. Um, we have a, a yeah. beautiful place upstate, a little farmhouse that we bought 15 years ago, and boy, did we make the right decision. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? I can't agree with you more. Uh, but let's think about this. You know, we're used to being on airplanes. We're used to traveling. Um, I literally, the longest piece, piece of time I've ever spent in one place since I'm 17 years of age. Are you getting a little crazy? Yeah, I, I, I am. Um, and uh, I was just thinking about this today. Like, I love airports. Once I get past security, an airport to me is like a teenager's mall, right? I, yeah. I love I love being in them. I like seeing the, the I like seeing the gates and, and guessing where people are going based on what the people look like, you know. Um, and um, I just love being in that 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 state of transition. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, but what I've done now, you know, you have a show called Places to Love. I've learned how to love my place in New York now. I have now reorganized my closet nine times. <laughs> Uh, I've actually reorganized the medicine cabinet, the sock drawer. Uh, it's and oh, and I found all these baseball hats from all these destinations I've been wearing all these years. Oh my goodness, my donation bag is huge now. <laughs> but but you, know, you you run out of that, so you know you look at all the new surveys, and I'm sure you've seen them too because we get a lot of the same you know press announcements that every survey comes back and says Americans can't wait to get back and travel. Yeah. You know they're already planning their next trip, and I think that's great. And everybody's saying, oh, when are we going to do it? My answer is not when are we going to do it. My answer is how we're going to do it. Who's going to open up to us in the in the age of uh, coronavirus with no vaccine, with no widespread testing? Which country is going to say, "Come on over"? Which yeah. which island destination is going to greet us with open arms until we have some kind of system in place, some kind of a universally accepted, for lack of a better term, immunity card mm-hmm. to say that Sam's okay to get on the plane? 
Yeah, actually, I remember that yellow immunity card, and I know it, I have it, it somewhere. Yeah. Um, and by the way, by the way, it still exists. Yeah, oh, and it it's does. Interna- okay. And its international title, you know what it is? It's the carte jaune. It, oh. it, it's, it's French for the yellow card. Oh, and that I, used, and I still have mine. I have no idea if it's valid anymore, but yeah. it's, it, it used to tell you that you were you were successfully vaccinated against yellow fever and yeah. typhoid, tetanus, uh, malaria, yeah, but it's got it's got to be coming back. I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, I, hey, I, I would do it in a second if it allowed me to travel. And I think that but then you get to the the other bigger problem is there's not enough tests and there's certainly not enough immunity tests and we won't be getting them. The the, the medical profession should get them first. And so then who gets that immunity test? Um, that's a very coveted test right now. I can tell you. And, you know, when you take a look at certain destinations that depend so much on travel and tourism. I'll give you one domestic destination, which I think is going to be an interesting test case. And that's Hawaii, mm. because for years, Hawaii was very, very strict about allowing any imported fruits and vegetables. They wanted to preserve the, the their, you know, the integrity of their agriculture. Well, mm-hmm. guess who the new fruits and vegetables are? It's you and me, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so and they what are they going to do? They need us because yep. it's it's the, the, the economic driver of their entire state. Yep. Uh, 30 to 40 percent of their incoming travelers are from Asia. And yep. considering where the coronavirus started, yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So what is Hawaii going to do? I, I, I think I'm going to gauge everything else based on, on what they do, not to mention the next item up for bids, Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, you don't think that um, I mean, because Hawaii, I, I, for me, is such an outlier because it is the most isolated group of islands in the world. Being that you have a very different rule system of how things work, what thrives, what doesn't, um, you know, your cap- capacity, your overcapacity. But yet, you know, the United States is a, is a, a wonderful country country to explore. And what I think is going to happen is that people are going to start treading lightly. They're going to test the waters and it's going to be these short trips where there's not a lot of commitment involved. They can cancel at the last minute. They can go at the last minute. Um, we want to reconnect with friends. We want to see our parents again or, in, you know, our relatives. Um, you you and- almost said in-laws. You almost said in-laws. <laughs> I love my in-laws. I really do. I hope to see them in in July. Actually, I still have a trip planned. Um, all my all my trips have been canceled up until July seventeenth. And uh, but and um, and I understand that. But I do think there uh, just because Hawaii won't be accepting anybody doesn't mean Maine won't. Doesn't mean oh, you know Turtle Beach no, won't. Uh, you know. Yeah, so I think oh, I think they're, they're positives. See, I, see, I agree with you, Sam. That we're going to start slowly with domestic trips, probably road trips of under three hundred miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, RV sales, I think, are going to spike. I think our national parks and state parks are going to be completely overflowing with the campgrounds. But I go back to the early days of COVID-19 where you had state highway patrolmen in Florida and in Rhode Island saying, if you're from New York, you can't come. And, and, you know, we have, what, five or six states that still have not a really good stay-at-home order. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, every state for themselves at this point. I'm I'm fully expecting – at least one state to say, you know, if you live in South Dakota, we don't want to see you in New York. All of a sudden, then the folks in South Dakota reciprocate. And next thing you know, South Carolina gets into it and Alabama and everybody else. We could actually have state highway patrolmen on borders turning away every license plate that doesn't belong to their state if we Mm -hmm. don't do widespread testing and get people cards like the old yellow health card that say it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I totally agree. In fact, when we, we had uh, two big trips planned for March for our show season four, we were going to Austria in the Tyrol region and then we are heading to London. And um, before, you know, basically the United States called it, said there's no travel, which honestly made me breathe a huge sigh of relief because it's hard gauging this by yourself. 
um, what I was most worried about was, okay, these countries are still, uh, um, you know, saying, hey, you can come. But we were from New York and it really hadn't hit New York. But my team is from Seattle and California where it did hit. It had, you know, Seattle was a hot spot. So I thought, what if they don't allow our crew in? And now our crew is in some sort of quarantine for 14 days. And so it was, you know, there's. Well, I thought what was the most frustrating part of this um, was just the, the, the huge unknowns. And um, and we're going to be entering into those unknowns once again, once people really start seriously lifting these travel bans and, and social um, distancing restrictions. You're right. You know, we're really talking about fear, but it's not a one-sided dimensional issue. No, it's not. Not at all. After, after 9-11, it was sort of one-sided. We were just worried about crossing a large body of water, mm-hmm. worried about terrorism getting shot down. I get it. We wanted our security blanket, enter the TSA. But mm-hmm. now it's so beyond that because we're afraid to cross the street and we want our guarantees about whether we can go anywhere. But so do our corporations with their business travel policies. Yeah. They're worried about liability. So our countries wanted to know, is Samantha Brown OK to show up? And then we haven't even dealt with the hotel aspect of it. You know, what happens if a hotel lets me in and I infect five other guests all of a sudden, here come the lawsuits. Yeah. So, I mean, look, Georgia sort of opened up last weekend, you know, with hair salons. And, and I, for one, for a reason that still escapes me and probably escapes you, bowling alleys. Uh, <laughs> but let, let's all go, go put our fingers in three unknown holes and, 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 wear, and, and, and wear somebody else's shoes, you know. But, but forgetting that, for the people who did venture out to get their hair cut or styled, they had to sign waivers saying that if they caught the coronavirus, they wouldn't sue the hair salon. That's yeah. just the beginning of the parade of waivers I think we're going to see. Yeah, no, that, that's true. And, it, and you know, I, I, I get it. If I'm a business and I, I just like, yeah, everyone wants to come here, but I can't be now responsible for you because I don't know. It just it really opens up a lot of people to a lot of, like you said, um, just just uh, just the, the unknowns. The unknowns are hard. Sam, all right, you and I are both grounded along with everybody else, but it's part of what we do not to be grounded. So how are you adjusting and how have you pivoted? You know, it's been tough. Uh, we are, you know, we have young kids, so we're now their teachers, uh, you know, uh, cooking every meal, laundry. There's all those responsibilities of the home, plus um, managing a business, you know, and, and, and changing it so that it reflects what's happening today. You know, one thing I'm really proud about with my series, Places to Love, is that it's not necessarily about the history of a destination or even its beauty. Um, it's about the people and the community. And that's something that, um, I think this, this social distancing has made us very aware of is that we are all um, much more uh, uh, about just social interaction and how much we all crave it. And um, so we've been able to, you know, put great videos up showing that, showing great conversations. And we spent a lot of time creating study guides for our shows for K through five kids and junior high, just to show that relevance that, you know, when you care about other people and understand the effort that it takes to create experiences that we as travelers just get to show up and have, um, you, you become a part of that community. And that's what we're all going to be craving when we are finally given the go ahead to travel just a little. So that's how we pivoted. We've just really highlighted um, just the importance and the integrity of travel, that it's not just this thing that is about, you know, uh, having great experiences and going to theme parks. It's really about understanding someone else's local environment. If you think about that, you know, we're all getting to know our local environments very well. When you travel, you are just in someone else's local community. And how how that um, 
changes your view and the importance of travel in your lives. And we can start that with children. You know, and you're still speaking to your kids. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of uh, I, I think I've said it a few times. I go, look at me, look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> Okay. I'm I, I saw, saw a very funny post on the internet the other night that said, my husband and I have decided not to have kids and we're going to tell them that at dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. No, you know, we're, we're all, we're all getting along. There's certainly flare ups. And hey, listen, I started traveling after having twins four months after I had them. And so having this time and I'm gone for two weeks at a time when, when we're shooting shows and I'm traveling a lot. And so having this time with them is for me a blessing that doesn't mean i don't want to strangle them half the time but um, i do i mean i that that is the positive way i'm looking at this that this is a time i will never have again with my kids um so that is that is the one positive now there are a lot of people right now who are listening to the show who are you know thinking about their travel plans i mean it's a great time to sit home and dream oh, so yeah. i gotta throw it at you Where, what's your dream destination when they finally let you out of the house maine the state of maine so i grew up in new hampshire right along the coast. Uh, my mom lives there, so we haven't been able to see her because she's compromised. I haven't been able to, I, you know, see my my own parents. So it is. Uh, that's what I think travel is going to be when it finally opens up. Just it's a, you know, it's a four-hour drive. We can make it if everyone's, you know, safe. Maybe I'll have to hide the New York license plates. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it is. It'll be like the, it'll be like the old James Bond movie where he pushes the button and the plates switch and they keep switching there to different we go. states. That's what yeah. I need. That's what I need. Yeah, no, that's no. it. The license plate um, exactly we're from new zealand um <laughs> but, uh, but so for, for me it's just about reconnecting with the people that i love so much and have only been able to you know zoom with and facetime with and and that's okay but i tell you what really worries me is that this whole you know beach social distancing new york city might not open its beaches for the summer and then you're like well what do we do and then when these beaches open up are they going to be so packed that it's going to be scary um so again you're, you know I, what? you're right you're right the real problem is going to be, it's not going to be a unilateral decision. It'll be county by county. Exactly. So what you're going to see, and you saw that at, at one point in Florida early yes, on. Yes, yes. You'll see maybe Nassau County in Long Island not opening their beaches, yep. Suffolk County opening their beaches, and then, you know, police departments on the border on the sand not letting you cross over. Crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and do I even want to venture that way? Do you, so is it just easier just to kind of play out in the backyard and get a good, you know, bocce ball set and just hear, this is what we're doing this this you know this summer kids we're getting a sam, slip and slide sam i, sam, I have yep. a news bulletin for you oh, bocce no, no. ball only goes so far i'm sorry <laughs> it does See, bocce, too much bocce ball leads to barricaded suspects yeah 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 you can't you can't, you can't. <laughs> so you know what it is it goes back to something else you talked about in this time when we're essentially quarantined it allows us to call all the people we haven't called in a while, to have conversations domestically and overseas with all the friends we've made on trips before, to check in on them, yeah. to make sure they're okay, to let them know that we're okay and thinking about them, and to keep those connections alive and kicking so that when we're ready to go back, we can almost, you know, if we have the yellow health card or whatever, hit the ground running. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But I think it comes down to that that core value of travel, the the emotional value of it. And and you and I know it, you can put us anywhere and we're still going to have a great time. We don't have to be at the top hot spots, the, the the you know, the big capital cities of the world. We can be anywhere and we can find great things to do, great people to meet, great restaurants to try out. And I think that's what people are going to realize, that it, travel was always closer than they thought. It's true. And you know what? Now you can come up with some ideas that you never would have thought of before. 
Mm-hmm. Because the entire world will be available to you. It'll be accessible to you. There'll be seats on planes. Yeah, uh, there'll true. be availability. There'll be availability of frequent flyer award redemption for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, now's the time to start planning for that. Samantha Brown, the host of Places to Love, which right now is not Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> And now my chat with Congressman Steve Cohen from Tennessee on his campaign for masks, seats, and all things airlines. As you may be noticing, a lot more people now wearing masks, but are they wearing them on the airplanes? Are they wearing them as far as flight attendants and crew are concerned? What are the protocols? And uh, joining me now is someone who knows a little bit about this because he was just on a flight with all of 12 people uh, in which most of them were not wearing masks, which prompted, of course, a letter to the airline presidents, which he only he could write because he's from the 9th District of Tennessee. Congressman Steve Cohen, thank you for joining me. Nice to be with you. So, Congressman, you know, uh, we're noticing now that uh, you wrote letters to the, to the CEOs of the airlines, uh, Ed Bastian at Delta. Uh, we also had uh, Robin, Robin at, uh, at JetBlue. JetBlue is now announcing that passengers cannot fly the plane next week, starting Monday, meaning this coming Monday, unless they have a mask on. Uh, United Airlines flight attendants are now all required to wear masks, but not every airline has jumped on board, right? No, not all of them. Some of them made it optional. Some of them have been tiptoeing in. JetBlue went all the way in. Uh, they jumped right in the pool, and I commend them for it. And I sent them a letter thanking them for that. And I sent a letter to the other airlines as a secondary letter, encouraging them to follow JetBlue's example. Uh, when you're on a plane, you're in a small compartment, and you got a lot of people around you. And if somebody's got asymptomatic and they've got the virus and they're not wearing a mask, they're going to spread it on that plane if they're sitting next to you, if they're sitting behind you. Uh, front up behind you, uh, they're walking up and down the aisle, going to their seat, or getting up to leave their seat. You name it. If there's, in, in fact, even in the even in the uh, uh, area when you're you're waiting to get on the plane, there's just so many areas where it could be you could be subjected to a, a virus, the coronavirus, you could be infected. So I think we need to be careful, and I think that's important for the flying public, and it's important for the airlines for people to feel comfortable getting on the plane. I'm mean, the first two times I, I got on planes during this mess was March 27 to go back for the CARES vote. And then uh, a week ago for the uh, CARES uh, uh, remedial vote, supplemental vote. And, um, yeah, it was a little bit eerie. And the, the, the flight attendants didn't have masks on. Uh, they, In one case, I was talking. I was in the first. Uh, two, somebody was two rows behind me. And we were in that period when the, you know you're going to be able to get off the plane soon, but never as soon as you thought you were because somebody doesn't get to the door to open the door for you. And so you're standing up there waiting to get off. And, exactly. And I fell up two rows behind me, and I started talking. We both had masks on, but I realized we probably weren't six feet. And I got a little bit concerned. And then I backed up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the guy behind me, who was a flight attendant without a mask, starts talking to the guy that I was talking to, who happened to be a, a former football star, so he was kind of a, a celebrity type. And uh, and I got out of the line of it, the, the, the line of fire, and went and sat down against the window and huddled up there and thought, that guy ought to have a mask on or had to shut his mouth. You know, we talk about social distancing and proper attire. It's all about space, something that you're already familiar with because. Not too long ago, you authored an act that I thought was a really great idea uh, called the Seed Act about, you know, proper space for people just flying even before the pandemic. Right. We wanted to have we've seen the seats get smaller and smaller, both in width and pitch, to where it's almost impossible for a, even a normal sized human being to be able to, to have any kind of comfort you. Otherwise, you have to kind of be contortionist to get in and out of your seat. But anybody that's a little larger, 
and a lot of us getting larger as, as society's gone on, it's really tough to get yourself in those seats. A lot of people come over the seat, over to your seat, and uh, they ought to be making the seats, not cramming people in for the maximum amount of, of, of profit, which uh, went to exorbitantly to the, to the, you know, the, the CEOs of those airlines make unbelievable amounts of money. And they, they, they could, anyway, they need to have more <laughs> safer seats. And it's not safe to get in and out and to get it out within the period of time that they're supposed to have to evacuate a plane. They did Well, that's, it. that's the interesting thing for me because under FAA rules that go back many, many years, every airline has to perform a test every year that basically certifies they can evacuate a fully loaded plane with half the exits blocked in less than 90 seconds. And I challenge them, other than hiring the cast of Cirque du Soleil, to, to prove to me they can actually do that. And yet every year they, they pass the test. And, you know, when you dig down a little deeper, you find out, well, they get to, they get to pick who does the test. It's, it, I wish the FAA would finally either revise the rules based on the number of flight attendants on board and based on the actual square footage of what you're cramming people into. Right. Well, they did some tests this year out in Oklahoma City, I think, and they, we haven't seen the results yet, but they didn't have people with disabilities on the plane to, to get off, and you have people with disabilities. They didn't have dogs on the plane. It's dangerous in those circumstances they've got and the cramped seats they've got. People can't get on and off those planes in the, in the requisite amount of time. So we use the basis of safety, and that's the major factor because if you lose your life, it's more important than your, than your comfort. But they're both factors that the airline should consider. And in the future, I think you're going to have to consider that and have, you know, maybe have a, a space between the seats so that people aren't sitting next to somebody packed in there three abreast like sardines that are ready to be put into a can and sent off to the ICU. <laughs> well, funny you should mention that because as we're talking right now, in the midst of this pandemic with all the airlines essentially grounding their fleets, American Airlines is actually proceeding by sending their Airbus 321s for maintenance. And what's the maintenance they're getting? They're adding more seats to those planes as we're speaking. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, I really would love to do an evacuation. Maybe you and I should do it together, Congressman. We'll just, we'll just get a nice cross-section of Americans by age, by physical ability, uh, by weight, um, and, and with the requisite amount of carry-on bags, as we all know, and, of course, all the emotional support animals they can cram in, and then block all the exits, turn out the lights, and see how long it's going to take them to get off the plane. And I know it's not going to be 90 seconds. You it's know not, it too. They, they, they limited the age that the people that they put on those sample uh, evacuations in Oklahoma City, and maybe they didn't have dis people with disabilities because they're concerned about liability. Well, liability and, and, and is a, a factor to consider in the real world, but so is people with disabilities and people over 65 on airplanes. And, and they didn't have them on there, which means that because they were concerned about liability, they may have liability because they can't get people off in 90 seconds. You, right on the nail. That's it. That's the problem. We need an independent testing situation with an agency that doesn't take five years to evaluate the obvious. Yeah, that's for sure. For sure. Exactly. Well, listen, the bottom line is this story is not ending anytime soon. You know, the question is not when we're going to get back, but how we're going to get back. And the masks... Very good idea. Let's hope more airlines follow your lead on this, Congressman. This is one of those things where, where uh, this is just one of the issues that's going to happen because it's a brave new world out there. It's more than just how we're going to fly. It's a question of even whether we can afford it. You know, you mentioned the middle seats. Uh, if Delta has an, an issue right now, they're saying we're not going to book anybody in a middle seat. Well, we understand that. They can do that because only 11% of people are on the plane. 
But what happens when we come out of this and everybody wants to fly again? Do you really want to fly in a middle seat? I don't. No, I don't think anybody does. And even if you can go and have this new drug cure you after they give it to you for a week or two weeks, that's not a real good reason to sit in the middle seat. Oh, well, I'll give up the next two weeks of my life and drink Rimsa Bar for two weeks. My cocktail will be Rimsa Bar. I got it. Congressman for the 950 of Tennessee, Steve Cohen. Congressman, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thanks, Congressman. Peter Greenberg here saying we'll see you next time on another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Thanks for listening to the Ion Travel Podcast. And let us hear from you. For more interviews with the world's leading travel industry professionals and decision makers, as well as answers to your travel questions, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Ion Travel Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. You can also visit petergreenberg.com for the latest travel news worldwide. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.